Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek. That is our presenting sponsor. That is the easiest way to shop for the best tickets. Thanks to their revolutionary grading system. I did it last weekend. Angels-Red Sox game. Last minute, my buddy Daniel said, hey, let's go to the Angels game. I went on SeatGeek. Unfortunately, I could not get my $10 off baseball tickets the first time I used SeatGeek because I've used SeatGeek before. But it was great, and we ended up seven rows behind the Red Sox dugout. It all couldn't have worked out better, but if you want $10 off baseball tickets the first time you use SeatGeek, go use promo code BSMLB. Download the SeatGeek app today. Go right to SeatGeek.com. We are also brought to you by Talk the Thrones. Oh, yeah. That is our new Game of Thrones post-game show on Twitter. All you have to do is go to our Twitter handle, at Ringer. Or you put in hashtag Talk the Thrones. You can listen to Mallory Rubin, Jason Concepcion, the stars of our Binge Mode Game of Thrones podcast, which you should also be subscribing to and downloading. They're doing the every Wednesday. They uh, update the latest uh, latest episode of the feed, Game of Thrones breaks downs. But they're doing this one, Talk the Thrones, with, with uh, Andy Greenwald and Chris Ryan of The Watch, another one of our podcasts. Sunday nights right after Game of Thrones ends on HBO. Go to at Ringer. Or go to at or the, go to the uh, Talk the Thrones hashtag, and there you go. They'll break down Game of Thrones for you. Coming up is an interview I taped a couple weeks ago with a very famous actress who turned out to be just as engaging as she is talented. That's coming up right now. But first, our friends from Pearl Jam. We're taping this second week of July. Time unknown for the for the uh, listeners. Charlize Theron. Yes. I was asking you if Theron, uh-huh. if you get that one, you just shake it off. Yeah, I get it a lot. I mean, look, the bottom line is my, the the real pronunciation of my name is so far off from both of those. What is it? It's Theron. Oh. Yeah. The South African pronunciation. Yeah. So I, you know, I can't say anything about it. Okay. Somebody, an American, this manager that I had when I started, you know, ages ago said, if you change your last name to Theron, it would be easier for Americans. Like the spelling or just the pronunciation? <laughs> the pronunciation. Okay. So we kept the spelling, but it's just a different pronunciation. But he was so wrong. So I have two things for you that I just want to get off the thing. Just coming two out and of then that. we're going to be done? No, no. And then we're going. <laughs> I did not. So your, your PR people sent Atomic Blonde to me? Yeah. But I would have had to watch it on like my iPad. Mm. I didn't want to. Oh. I want to see it in the movie theater. That's nice. I don't. I've done That's, this before where I have the guests and they're like, "Here's the movie," and yeah. then I'm like watching this little tiny iPad, yeah. and it's like I don't feel like that's how Atomic Blonde was meant to be watched. Great. Am I correct? Yeah. I, hey, as long as you watch it. What's What's the release date? Uh, we're releasing July 28th. Yeah. So I'm gonna go in the theater, That's and I know nice. I'm gonna like it because I like all action movies. That's really. It's cool. got the Thanks. Jane Wick label, which I don't know if you like or you don't like. Sure, are you kidding me? That's good, right? Because yeah, they've already I love made two movies. John Wicks. Yeah, I really like those movies. It was because of the first one that I um, reached out to David Leach, the director. Yeah. He was one of the directors of the first um, John Wick, and uh, you know I was a huge fan of those. I am a huge fan of those films, and I think Keanu is so incredible in that whole genre. What I liked about two is that it was they upped the stakes from one and it, like they just made like a bigger, crazier, yeah. better <laughs> version of John Wick One, which I think you have to do when you do a sequel. Yeah, hopefully we can do that. Just... You've done a couple now. Because you did Mad Max. Oh, uh, action films or sequels? Yeah, yeah action, action films. Yeah. Well yeah. I mean I yeah, I mean I feel like Mad Max and this film are like the only two really big action films that I would this one you had to do the fight scenes you had to really like yeah I had a lot of fight scenes in um, in Mad Max it was just different you know because we were in vehicles and so a lot of the fighting is a lot of just upper body stuff although uh, Tom Hardy and I had a a pretty intense uh, fight outside of the trucks in the desert um, that we literally I think it took three weeks to shoot it was a really really big fight scene yeah um but, you know, we shot for 135 days or something like that on that film. 
with a crazy budget and uh, on Atomic Blonde, you know, we made this movie for 30 million dollars and uh so we didn't have the you know we don't we didn't have three weeks to shoot one uh, action sequence i i went and i researched all these different interviews because you know we have the internet yes you've done amazing yeah you've done pr in the past yeah and it seems like in these interviews they ask you about like the same five or six things over and over again Mm. and then you just answer them in different ways Oh, I do. I don't want to do that. Well, you're giving like, me a lot of credit. No, I don't think I go that far. <laughs> I think I answer them the same way, <laughs> just well, with a add... variance of annoyance. No, no, I don't know what you're talking about. A I variance of soberness. Different. We did this with Kurt Russell, and mm-hmm. it worked. We just went through his IMDb. Yeah, and we talked about each movie. Oh my god! And that's it was really be a fun. long day. Yeah. Well, I, I and a boring some. interview. I did some asterisk. No, it's okay. not going to be boring. It's, it's going to be really okay. fun. All right. The first movie you were ever in. Children of the Corn 3. Yeah. All right, so walk me through that one. <clears throat> so uh, I was um, I was rooming with a friend, and she knew this guy who was a director, and he was the director of that film, and he needed extras, and I thought I had hit it big. I How long had you been in L.A. at that point? Um, maybe nine months, ten months, like around a year, Yeah. And I just thought that was it. I'm but like I was done. I was like made. I was so happy. What was the plot of Children of the Corn Three? I and think that, I saw one and two. I don't know. I think I missed three. A lot of corn involved of and corn. children. That's was, about all I know. And, and screaming and blood. Yeah, Malachi. Yeah, that's all I did. I went one night. They said that we had to bring our own clothes, and they were very specific. It had to be black, and I was so excited. I went and bought these uh, a new pair of Pumas, and at the time I was really poor, so that mm. was really a big spend for me. And then we got there, and they dumped all this fake red blood all over my new Pumas, and I was pretty pissed about that. But then I was like, I made it, I made it, so it didn't matter. So you were trying to make it in LA in the mid '90s, like during the swingers era mm-hmm. of. You saw Swingers, right? Yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah. Yeah. That whole, it was like yeah. pre-internet. Everybody just kind of came out here. Nobody knew that if they were going to get a job. Nobody had money. Yeah, it was the early 90s. I was here early uh, 94. Um, and I, I, had, I left South Africa when I was 16 and kind of traveled all over the world. And I would get modeling jobs, you know, just to kind of pay the bills. Right. Um, but, I, you know... Prior to starting the like just messing around with the acting thing, I just I, I thought I would be a, a ballerina for the rest of my life. That was kind of my my first passion until I realized I couldn't do that anymore. And so then by the time I came out here, it really was because I realized I wanted to try and do something in my life that involved storytelling. Yeah. On some level. And so I knew nothing about acting, but I knew that I liked storytelling. And so I just, I flew out here to really just give it a shot. How many places did you waitress at? Um, <laughs> so I couldn't waitress at a lot of places because I was here um, on tourist visas. Oh. And so a lot of places wouldn't let me work. But I worked. In LA, I'm surprised yeah, to hear that. I know. They, were, they, they have a real high bar. Yeah. Um, but I worked at a couple, I mean, I, I worked more in New York, actually. By yeah. the time I came out here, I was a little bit more settled and I could financially support myself a little bit too. But I was also, you know, living from hand to mouth. So, right. All right. Two days in the valley, your first break, 1996. Yeah. So how does that happen? Um, I auditioned for it. I, uh, you know, it was a weird one because I had met this manager and who told me to change my name. And he... Do you remember um, what he told you to change your name to? Well, to the pronunciation uh, of what we were just talking about. It wasn't like he didn't change like to Sally no, or no. something? No, no. He was okay. like, pronounce it Theron. People will understand Theron. <laughs> All right. Um, and that was not the case. But he uh, he told me about this audition for this film. Um, and I had just gotten an agent at UTA, um, which was pretty big because I had no resume. I had no experience. I had a very heavy South African accent. My English was very poor. And uh, I went out to audition and I didn't really know how to audition. So yeah. they made me do the scene where I'm supposed to be shot. And I brought like a little bottle of ketchup. Like I thought you had to like recreate the whole scene. And so I barged through the door with, um, you know, ketchup on my shirt and screaming and yelling and trying to really turn a casting room into a mansion where the scene took place. Mm. And I think they were just scared that I was maybe 
you know, going to kill them all. So they gave me the job. Because um, I don't know if I was necessarily good. Even John Hertzfeld, who directed that film, was like, years later, he's like, Charlize, you're not good at auditioning. But you're, um, I think he said something like, you're, you're relentless. Like, you figure out a way to kind of like stay in people's heads. When did you get rid of the accent? Well, I started then. I mean, uh, he was interested in me. The the character was always Swedish, so it kind yeah. of helped me a little bit. Um, but after that, you know, a lot of I would do a lot of auditions, and people would say, "Well, if she can do an American accent, she, you know, she could be a contender." And so I I realized that I had to. Would you have to get rid of to make you sound more American? Well, I was raised in as with Afrikaans as my first language. Yeah. And so I spoke very, very little English. Oh. Um, I had English as a second language, but where I lived, nobody spoke English. So I didn't necessarily have to break something so yeah. much. Like I, I really, re, I learned English here in America. When I you could, get drunk, does it come back? Yeah. And when I go back to South Africa, it comes back in a heartbeat. Yeah. That's what I'm like sure. with Boston. Oh really? You yeah. get all Bostonian. Yeah, when I you got go? rid of the Boston accent, but if I get drunk, like I just yeah, drop I the R's never and the L's. Yeah. Is it the booze? Yeah. The booze. Yeah. yeah. You, you just kind of forget. Yeah. So how long before you had a good American accent? I still don't have a good American accent. I'm I think you, I think I, you sound well. That's nice. I like I would say my American. accent is good. I, my English is not that good, and people are always surprised by that. Like I make a lot of tense errors and grammar errors and my spelling is terrible and people are always a little shocked by that because they think they just assume that I've lived here my whole life. Did you see Blood Diamond? Yes. Were you okay with Leo's accent in that movie? Yeah. it's very polarizing. No, it was really good because really they made good? Oh, Well, wow. because they made him Rhodesian. Yeah. Yeah, that really helped. Did really you go helped. into that thinking Leo's going to screw up the accent? I'm going to no, be mad about this? No, I mean, this? it's Leo. I mean, he's so great. Okay. He's really great. And he worked really hard on it. And so I could t- I could tell. Because I think a lot of people just kind of do this one-dimensional South African thing. And it's What does the one-dimensional this, sound like? This, like, over-the-top thing, you know? Like, I'm from South Africa, hi, bro. You know? <laughs> Sounds <laughs> like, Australian. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> a little well, bit. look, it's Southern Hemisphere. We're yeah. neighbors. It's the same thing. Leah's was good. There was a couple of spots in the movie where he kind of forgot to stick with it. Oh, aren't you the expert all of a sudden? Wow, wow Bill. Nobody, I didn't know too. that. I should have uh, looked you up when I was trying to lose my <laughs> South African accent. I am the accent. I'm obsessed with movie accents, especially because... Are you really? Well, because there's so many people do that do the Boston. It? No, it's the Boston thing. Oh, the car in the parking lot, huh? Yeah, some people... They, they go make really mis- wide with it, huh? They make the mistake of doing the Kennedy's version of the Boston accent. Oh, yeah, that's a... that's and Even when it's good, accent. it sounds wrong, right? Yeah. yeah. Damon's the best... To me, Damon in Good Will Hunting, because he's from Massachusetts, but yes, it's easier. that accent is how it should sound. And it's Ben, not so much? You don't... No, Ben was good, too. Oh, okay. But you went with Damon. So Damon that's an interesting it, thing. It more You're attitude. revealing so much about yourself. <laughs> I am a little pro-David, I guess. Really? <laughs> well, for that movie, I am. Interesting. Yeah. You get to carry that one. All right, we're going to uh, Devil's Advocate. Yeah. What, do you what want about to that one? What about it? How did I get the job? Or No. What? It's on cable a lot. Oh, it is? I think it's mildly underrated now. Oh. Yeah. It was like the first... Uh, like star, I mean, look, I, I, I was, I felt completely out of my league on uh, Two Days in the Valley with people like Danny Aiello and James Spader, yeah. who I just have such admiration for, and Glenn Headley, um, just great actors. But this, that was the first time it was like Al Pacino and Keanu Reeves. That, so it was just, it felt so, it didn't feel like it was even plausible. You're like third billing in that movie. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy. And getting the job was... Um, was it wasn't easy. I I'm still shocked that I got the job. I still think a mistake was made. It was like a weird moment of three actors and um, all of us kind of screen testing over and over. And, and when I finally got the call, I had a moment where I was like, "What if they dialed the wrong number?" Right. Because that could be what it what it is. Was that your first experience going through the whole? Hey, it's the new one. It's this new starlet potentially, and she's going to be on this cover and in this interview and all that. God, stuff. I don't even think people talk that way about me. I was just—I felt like you know—I was swimming in the deep end, and I was just trying to keep my head above water. I—I I, I knew that I was with Al Pacino and I, Keanu, and I needed to not drown. I needed to like you know bring my part to the table. So I—I I worked really hard, and I—I I tried my best. 
Do you rewatch your old movies or you just you forget about them? No, I would never like, you know, pop on a movie of mine. What God, if it no. came on? What if you're flicking channels? I force at my children to do that. No, I um <laughs> uh yeah, if it came like if I was, you know, surfing and it came on, I would watch like a few minutes of it, but I don't think I could do the whole thing. No. I don't know how I'd feel because I'm not an actress. Or an actor. <laughs> uh, astronaut's wife. Mm. Unless you want to talk about Mighty J. Young. I'll t- I'm here to talk about what you want to talk about. Well, you pick. I'm ready to move to the astronaut's wife. Let's do I it. I thought that Let's... was kind of underrated, okay, great. too. Yeah, oh, Johnny well, Depp. Yeah. Super... What'd you learn from Johnny Depp? Um, He's an amazing actor. He 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 was, I think, the first like crazy, super uh, intimidating actor that I ever worked with. He's intimidating. Intimidating because he's such a good actor, or there's something intimidating yes, about him personally. Yes, he's a great, great, great actor, and he's got tremendous talent. Um, but he, you know, he comes to work with this presence, this thing that's very Johnny Depp-ish, and it's intimidating. And um, if you just veer on the other side of, uh, you know, being in his good graces, it's not pretty. So it was Is that intimidating. What Nothing happened, but you know, you when you work on a film, I think people don't realize it's like any kind of work environment. It, yeah. You know, after day thirty or forty, it can get you know you're sleep deprived and all this all of this stuff that, and uh, you know, I th- I think we had one moment with one scene, and he wasn't very happy with, uh, you know, how I kind of saw it and. Um, yeah, he did this this thing that was very intimidating, where he just kind of like, not he didn't scream, he didn't yell or anything. He just is not like cool, like, you know, I don't even know you kind of thing. <laughs> I was like, oh god, <laughs> all right. Uh, but then you go to work, and he's like, you know, he's one of the top ten actors in the world. So um, I was super. I felt really privileged to be able to make that movie with him. When you were like when you're in a movie with Johnny Johnny Depp, especially yeah. when you're younger and you haven't totally established the gravitas yet, do you feel like you have to go get lunch with them or feel them out, or is it just like you show up on the set and you go? You know, the director took me to meet him. Uh, he was working on something I forget what it was, and we, we I think we did have lunch in his trailer, and he was super lovely and super warm. He's a very warm guy, like he's very very warm, and I think a lot of him turning is actually because he is so warm. Yeah. And he, I think he's super sensitive. I think when he feels like somebody's wronging him, he takes it very seriously. Um, but we, I, we didn't. You don't get to hang out that much. I think right. people think that we're like, you know, that like we're not like bands on the road. I'm or what I imagine that lifestyle would be where you hang out a lot. Like you work long hours and uh you sometimes work six day weeks and it's not a lot you don't have a lot of or I I can't do it. I I don't have the stamina for it. It's gotta be more fun now that there's the internet. When you're stuck in a trailer for six hours. Like what'd you do in nineteen ninety nine? You're like reading magazines and books and what did I well, do I in the can't even imagine. You know, I, I love to play backgammon. I'm like an obsessive backgammon player. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's, I would have rather done that that than the podcast. <laughs> I love backgammon. Oh, Nobody really? knows how to play backgammon. Oh, I'm a Do you vicious... play for money, though? Yeah. Oh, that's the only way to do it. See, I have yeah. a gambling problem, I mean, so that's I, why I When I say I play for money, Toby Maguire might disagree with you. Because well, I played him count. once, yes. and he was like, this is for 15 grand. And I was like, yeah, this is for 15 grand. And then I lost, and I was like this is not for 15 right. this is for five dollars <laughs> and i think he's still upset with me over that so i shouldn't say that but i love playing backgammon and i've i've spent many movies like finding one person on the set that i can just like obsessively sit on a set and play backgammon with do you or, play online no yeah i do i have like you know just on your computer like yeah, yeah i play every night before i fall asleep um, oh, yeah, wow. I didn't, never meet anyone who likes backgammon. Um, the Dublin, Damn. the Dublin Cube, is the key to the gambling. Yeah, the, the Dublin Cube gotta, is, becomes because the hammer that's when, when you know you're playing. Yeah, that's that's when you know. By the way, I was in Greece last summer, and I I I mean, I went to town because yeah. you know you're like in the hood of the game. So right. I every bartender, every restaurant I went to, it was it got crazy to the point where. I beat this guy one night so badly that he was just demoralized. And he came to find me at the hotel that I was staying at to play me again. And then he beat me. And it was like, 
God, I should have just left it alone. I was like, like I, I just couldn't, I couldn't stop. It kept going, and then he just beat me horribly. But he came to, he found me and wanted to have a rematch. This sounds like the sports movie that you need to make. Yeah, right. Yeah, you're back in, and you're, you used to be the best. Something <laughs> happened. There are a little stalking like a drinking involved. problem or something. And then you got your act together. And that is what it was. I think I was a little wasted. Back yeah. then, it's the best. Quick break to talk about our friends at Bowl and Branch. What's worse than having lousy sheets? I can't think of anything. I mean, there's probably worse things, but it's way, way up there. I remember being in college trying to prolong the same sh- set of sheets for weeks because I hated doing laundry. I have nightmares about it. I may or may not have family members who have had bed bugs recently. Maybe even somebody producing this podcast. But guess what? Great sleep starts with the right clean sheets, and they're more affordable than ever. With Bowl and Branch, they make the most comfortable sheets you'll ever sleep on. Fall asleep faster, sleep deeper, wake up ready to kick some ass. Each sheet crafted from 100% organic cotton. They feel incredible. They look amazing. Half the price, twice the quality, no expensive retail markup. Anyone who sleeps on Bowen Branch sheets, love them. Just go look up the thousands of five-star reviews. Go to bowenbranch.com today. You'll get $50 off your first set of sheets, plus free shipping when you use the promo code BS. Try them for 30 days, 30 days or 30 nights. And if you're not impressed, return them for a full refund. Let's try 30 nights for that one. $50 off plus free shipping right now at B-O-L-L and branch.com. Check that out. Back to Charlize. Um, Devil's Advocate, by the way, I think would would be a good Netflix series. Oh, really? I think the, the idea could be stretched out over like 20 episodes. Wow. The guy, the astronaut, something happens. He comes back. Something's not totally right. Oh, you mean the, the astronaut's wife? The, not actual, the, the, the astronaut's wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. What I meant. Sorry. I was a devil's um, advocate. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, the devil story can We're be gonna, a When we edit this, it's going to be double <laughs> the astronaut's wife. You're going to yeah. make yourself look really good. I think it could have been like a 25 really episode series, though. Oh, thank you. Cider House Rules? Uh, yeah. What? Well, I. 2000. Yeah, 2000. What was going on? I. W- I um, I auditioned for the Cider House Rules um, with Toby, and I was a huge fan of Lasse Holstrom. I just I think he's an incredible filmmaker, and I really wanted to work with him. And I love that book. I love John Irving, and yeah. So I I felt very lucky to get that role. You know, um, I was working at the time kind of back to back on that film and uh, a film, um, I think before that I did uh, a film called The Yards. And so I was, it was, they were both Miramax films and I was kind of like going back to back on these two films. And I felt really, I loved where I was in my life. It was yeah. like, I was working on things that I really wanted to work on and I felt super satisfied in my life creatively. It was a really, it was a good time for me. Well, it sounds like you were because all of a sudden you're talking about what filmmakers you want to work with. Yeah, like five years ago, yeah, you were and it was you know that's a, a great luxury to have at that age, and I, I I don't take that for granted at all. So is that when Toby kicked your ass in backgammon? <laughs> I think it was after yeah. actually. Yeah, it was like on a at a beach house. Like uh, we have a lot of mutual friends, and I think it was actually after that movie. That's like one of the seven rules of living in Los Angeles. It's like don't go on the street. If you're yeah. at a poker table with Toby Maguire, get up and leave. Yeah, well, everyone's like, just stay. Don't gamble with Toby Maguire ever. I broke every rule. I think I was the <laughs> I was the one in the wrong <laughs> with that situation. I think he he had every right to be pissed at me. Reindeer Games 2000. Yeah, and an all time Hall of Fame underrated rewatchable cable movie. Well, just purely because it's John uh, Frankenheimer. Who... It's a cool movie, and it's actually better now that the TVs are widescreen because. Remember that era where... You can see those Santas so much better. Oh, yeah. I like to see the <laughs> wide shots of the Santas. It's great. Um, I think Manchurian... Ironically, Johnny Depp on um, Astronaut's Wife introduced me to Manchurian Candidate. He hmm. said to me, you have to watch this movie. I think this is an almost perfect film. And I couldn't agree with him more. Are you um, talking about the new one or the old one? No, the one that John Frankenheimer did. Okay. And um, Johnny Depp thought that was an almost perfect movie. Yeah, and I think that's so Johnny Depp. It's a really great film. It's a really great film. And then I I I started watching other films of his like Seconds and yeah, I think that film is really great. Yeah. Um, and so that was that movie for me 
I'll be very honest in, in saying uh, 100% John Frankenheimer made me sign on. Yeah, I wanted to work with a great, an old classic great like that. Somebody who is just that, um, that thoroughbred, like has done it. And, you know, he came from doing those theater television um, productions where it's like, it was like live television. Right. I don't know. I just, I, I was fascinated by him. You caught Affleck at an interesting time in his career. It's like three years after Good Will Hunting. He's making a ton of money doing movies. He Does was so one. sweet. I fell in love with him on that movie. He he couldn't have been um, nicer. Yeah. I got to tell you, Matt and Ben are two of my favorite, favorite guys I've ever been around. Just it's a big day work. for Boston right here. Yeah. I'm telling you, you get something in the water. Something in the Brilliant. water. Nice people. Yeah. Just really solid um, salt of the earth, great sense of humor. They don't take themselves too seriously. Sly Stallone doesn't like them. Oh, it's the only person you, I found out. Wait, how? There what? was some sort of Golden Globes table imbroglio during the you year know when uh, so much. I know. Well, I, I like to make sure my Boston guys are all right. So what Sly happened? Was, Sly showed up at the Globes. He thought he was. He thought it was his this table, last, but it was the Matt, last Globes. The one when he was nominated for Creed. Okay, and he showed up. And Matt and Ben, it was their table, but he Sly thought, and Sly got mad about it, apparently. Wait, he thought it was his table? He thought, yeah, he thought he had seats at it, and then was like, no, no, this is our table, these are... And it got a little ugly. Yeah, From, little Sly uh, bitterness. Well, it must have been ugly on his part, because I can't imagine No, I think Matt, Matt and, and ben, ben were like... Rocky Balboa, please don't be bad at us. It was one of those. No, I, I mean, I could, I could tell you, and I don't even know this for a fact that those, both those guys would be like, oh my God, Sly Stallone. Like they're so. Right. They were horrified. They're oh, like, no, no, my no. God. Yeah. That's so, I hate hearing stuff like that. The Golden um, Globes is the most fun one to go to, right? Well, everybody always says, yeah, because you can, th- you have food and you have booze. Right. Right. But I was there two years in a row and I never got food. Oh no! Yeah, and Maybe we they do it we literally ordered a pizza from our table. We on our phone order a pizza. Um, Scorsese was at my table, and somebody at the table ordered pizza for us. Do you um, think they deliberately withhold the food? No, they want I think it was an tipsy? accident. I think it's so crazy oh. trying to feed everybody, and the, I I cannot imagine being somebody who works uh, with food there. I mean, it's just it's just too many people. It's, it's crazy that they can even pull it off. So, how would you rank the award shows? What's number one to go to oh for my you? God. For you personally? Oh, I've never thought of this. Uh, because well, what's I, the one you're the most excited about? Like, oh, I have this one. Oh, this will be fun. I'm excited for this one. I'll be completely honest. None of that stuff is fun for me. Okay. So I wouldn't use the word fun. <laughs> Was it ever fun? No, it's always been super Even intimidating. In the late 90s, it wasn't like fun? really, really intimidating because you're just surrounded by all these. You know, when the first time I went, I was just starstruck, and yeah, you. I feel I have always suffered from this. I'm in like somehow I got invited, and I'm not really invited. Like I've always think a mistake was made, and I'm not supposed to be there. And you didn't think that after you won the Oscar, though. Then you're in like this I, yeah, I got nominated the, like t- a year or two years afterwards, and I was like, "This has got to be a mistake." Like right. I, I am always a little bit, um, yeah. So whenever I'm in those rooms, I feel, I feel like I don't have the funniest joke, and I don't feel. And I always here's my problem: I do like to have a cocktail, and then I say very inappropriate things. And I don't mean to say inappropriate things. We should have given you booze for this. Yeah. I didn't realize. I'm going to backgammon and booze ready to roll. You think this is a Starbucks tea? <laughs> yeah, I should have known. Um, yeah. So I, I always kind of go home and I go, God, did I really say that to Glenn Close? Right. Um, but I guess that makes it fun. You know, I, I find myself at dinner tables with really, really good friends who've been around in my life for 20 years. And we always laugh about those things. Like, you know, one of them will always be like, I can't believe you said that. And I don't, you know, it's just, it's, I guess it's just, you know, some kind of a default button. But Do yeah. you like the red carpet culture? You must, I, I would imagine no, it's a I lot mean, of pressure all from of it, that. Yeah, it's, it's not pressure. It's just, I guess... It's, I don't ever call making films work because I love it. Like, yeah. I really, really love it. I don't know. Like, you know, when you, you're like, I do believe that there is some real value in finding something. And, 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 and you, it's such a 
it's one of the greatest gifts that I think you can have in your life to do something that doesn't feel like work. And I yeah. feel like my job is that. But the that stuff to me feels like work. Yeah. Um, getting ready for a red carpet. Yeah, it's it's like. It's like sometimes when you get ready for a party, like getting ready for it is almost more fun than actually going to the party. Have you ever experienced that? No? You don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know. When, you, when you're trying your Dior dress I hate on. Getting ready. And <laughs> so I'm with you. I would hate being a yeah, I mean, famous it's just, person having to go to this stuff. And I, the thing with red carpets is just so, there's nothing normal or natural about it for me. You know, to have that much attention and cameras kind of, it's just weird. It's weird. And I break out in hives and I get all red and blotchy. And When you're at like the, the parties after, yeah, do guys come up to you or or they just stay away? They're afraid. Like, do you, do you get hit on by actors or no, whoever or, or Hollywood people? Or are they just like, I'm not even going near her? Listen, I don't even know when people are hitting on me, so I can't oh. even answer that. I'm so freaking clueless. It's the truth. I'm absolutely clueless. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I'm super social with a lot of people and right. friendly with a lot of people. And I find that there's a lot of friendly, really lovely people in my industry. So, but I don't think. So like when that guy circled back to play backgammon with you again. Yeah. No, he might have been hitting on no, you. No, no, no. He was not. That was not. Do you guys gonna think happen. that was a possible hitting situation? No, that was okay. not going to happen. He okay. just wanted to win. Right. He He's needed a his. Yeah, it was his masculinity was shot. Um, the yards. We can skip over that mm-hmm. one. Or no? Mm-hmm. We talked about that. Yeah, didn't we, we talked a little about bit. Yeah. Legend and Bagger Vance. Love Matt. There you go. Love Matt. Yeah, we're skipping over that. Yeah. One. But poor Matt had to learn how to play golf in like three weeks. Matt and All I. All the golf nerds were like. What the Matt, hell? That's not a real golf swing. Matt had like constant bruised ribs. Yeah. I think he fractured ribs. I, I think he I, did. Yeah, from hitting the the club into the ground, which yeah. you know is a horrible thing to do. You yeah. play, right? I used to. You don't play anymore? Eh. I play on Mother's Day because my mom's a golfer. I, I play with her on one day a year. Then backgammon in the clubhouse after? <laughs> yeah, that's my thing. <laughs> uh, 15 minutes. Pacino again. Wasn't Pacino in that one? No, De Niro. Oh, De, Niro. De Niro was in so that, yeah. So you crossed off De Niro on that one. Yeah, just checking, checking, checking. De Niro, on. Pacino? Yeah. But you never worked with Leo? No, I've never worked with Leo. Mm-mm. Yeah. All right. We're going to uh, the dun, Italian dun, dun. job. Okay. Because that's another one that's still has legs. Oh, my gosh. People I like the it. Italian job. In fact, a member of The Ringer, who I won't name, who knew you were coming said, tell her I love the Italian job. Oh my God. In yeah. this room right now? No, no, not in the room. Got it. Juliet okay. Lindman. Yeah. Okay. Love the Italian job. Wow. That's really nice. It's a good one. So that was Wahlberg. Mm-hmm. Amazing guy. Again, Boston, right? He's Boston. Boston yeah. yeah. Just such a great, solid human being. So um, at this point you have like seven years of either doing action movies or like low key movies, but you never did like the, the, well, the, the what? I don't know, like the indie where like the group of friends for their 10 year high school reunion, like one of those like generic <laughs> no. indie movies. You never did one of those. Well, that sounds more like a rom-com. Are you talking like... Or the, even a rom-com. Was, you never did a rom-com. Yeah, there was like a huge period while I was doing movies like The Yards and Cider House Rules where a lot of, there was like a bo- like a boom in uh, romantic comedies. Oh, yeah. And my I, best friends reading all the way through the 27 breast, dresses. Breast friends? Bre- friends. Breast friends, <laughs> really? And, and I'm the one who <laughs> my drinks? My best friend, yeah. Interesting, yeah. interesting. Uh, yeah, there was like a whole, and I... You just shook them off. You didn't want any Well, of them. first of all, no, I didn't, shake, sh- I didn't shake them off. I didn't get the job. <laughs> Which one did you want? Um, I auditioned for a best friend wedding, my best friend's wedding. Which part? Julia or no, Cameron No, for Diaz? the Cameron, yeah, role. Um, oh, that's an interesting what if. Look, I was just there. I was really lucky that at moments where I could that where I got jobs with filmmakers like James Gray and yeah. Lasse Holstrom, um, and it was not by me saying like, "Oh yes, I'll do that." You know, I auditioned. I was auditioning. I was trying to get work, and so by no means was I. I just went out there. I just kind of went out there and tried to meet as many directors as I possibly could. And then if I did get into a position where to kind of choose, I do, I think my natural passion is maybe a little bit more towards, um, I don't know, heavier material, a little bit more darker. I don't know. So you've never played the career-driven woman 
who her job is her life and can't find a man and then something that's happens. atomic blonde <laughs> yeah it's a, all right there you go it's, it's a secret rob cup but just the dark version of it yeah, yeah. really super the, dark the kick kick ass dark version all right monster so that was the game changer for you well yeah i didn't know it at the time but um you knew something though I was on, uh, no, I didn't. I really didn't. Really? I, I was, I was actually shooting Italian job when I got a call from my, uh, agent manager at the time. And she said, uh, I just read five pages of the script, um, that was offered to you. And it's a really small film and it's about this, this woman, Eileen Warnos. And I think it's, I, I don't know. I feel like there's something here. Mm. And so I, I don't know how I did it, but I ended up watching the documentary before I read the script. And I was just like, what and who thinks this is gonna work? Like, yeah. I was just not convinced that I could do it at all. I mean, she was just so specific in her behavior and her mannerisms and um, there was just no way around it. You couldn't just do like a half version of it. It, it. You had to kind of commit to it all the way and and not just commit to it all the way, but kind of, be successful at it for it to work. And I, mm. I didn't know how that was plausible. So you do it. You had to, well, yeah, I met with fake teeth. I met with Patty Jenkins. I actually met with her to, to tell her no. And, and in the meeting, she convinced me to do it. She just had an incredible amount of passion. And I, I think I was so taken back by, her belief in me, I, I hadn't had that. What I do you think she saw in you that made you think you could play that role or made her think that? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it was. I mean, she was absolutely crazy, you know? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. But she was she, a serial killer. Yeah, but look at what she just did with Gal. I mean, it's just yeah. she, she has a knack for seeing things in a way that I think a lot of people don't have in my, in our industry. And I, I think it, it's why our industry suffers a little bit because people are so, they have to kind of see it in front of them, otherwise they can't. And there's something incredible when you have a director that can kind of see beyond that and and then make that real. And Patty is definitely one of those directors and she just wouldn't give up. She was relentless. She was not gonna take no for an answer. And so we just started working from there. Did you know as you were filming it that this was going to be a no. game changer for you? No, no idea. <laughs> so we we found like five million dollars from this like small financing entity, and um, we went off to Orlando to shoot for like twenty five days, and we were shooting, and I was a producer on it. So we were shooting back then the turnaround of dailies for dailies to have you know people when you're shooting on location to have people in LA actually watch dailies was around, I want to say over a week or something yeah. like that. So we were two weeks into shooting and I get a call at like 3 AM in my little, you know, motel five in Orlando and it's the financier and he's just like ripping a new one. Like he's just, Ooh. yeah, he's so angry and he's screaming and he's and I'm half half asleep, half awake, and he's saying things like, "I can't believe what you, what are you guys doing over there? Did you see what you look like? And this is never gonna work. You never smile once in any of these dailies. You're so angry." And he just he was really really angry, and I kind of he shook me. I I kind of hung up the phone, and I you know I didn't fight back or anything like that. I I had this real dark moment of um, doubt where I thought maybe he's right. Mm. And I woke Patty up and I said, I just had a call from Mark and I'm super freaked out. And and she was unbelievable. Just so, uh, you know, just she's like, don't pick up the phone again. Don't talk to him. By the time they shut us down, this movie will be made. And just keep your eyes on the road. And this is the movie that we're making. And... I, you know, I really owe a lot to her in that moment because I think as an actor, it, when you're kind of putting yourself out there like that, you've, you're always walking that fine line of like, is it a caricature? Am I going too far with it? Will people relate to this? Will people be able to watch this? 
am I making a joke out of it? Am I, so you're, you're constantly kind of questioning all of that. It was the first time where I really, really used a monitor on set, you know, to, to watch playback so that I could kind of guide and modulate my facial, um, just my facial movements with the teeth and the eyes and the expressions and the kind of the head throwing back moments that she had. And so you start thinking of worst case scenarios like, oh, my God, this is going to be. Well, a I knew he wasn't happy. I knew our financier was yeah. not happy. I think I think he thought he was signing on to a hot lesbian uh, dangerous oh, like the Cinemax movie. version of this? Yeah. Of like me and Christina Ricci and right. like I'm killing men and it was going to be like, you know, oh, no. some like MTV great. Like, I don't know. Like he thought it was that, I think. And then that was, he was like, and you're so fat. When did you get so fat? Like I remember, remember him yelling that to me. Um, so we knew they weren't happy with it. And then when we started shopping it around, we couldn't get anybody. I mean, everybody was saying to us, like, it's a really interesting film, but we wouldn't know what to do with it. No, Nobody had ne- ever seen anything like it, so they didn't know what to do with it. Now Netflix would just give you, like, $38 yeah, million. Yeah, this is a different time now, 100%. I mean, you could, you could find 20 places in a day to yeah. release that film. But we were signing, this was the back in the day of Blockbuster, and we were signing, we were waiting for the paperwork because we had gone through all of our options and we were waiting for the paperwork to show up and we were going to sign it to for it to go straight to video for blockbuster really and um this incredible distributor uh bob burning called us up he was at the time distributing um uh mel gibson's film the passion of uh, passion of christ was that passion of christ yes and he he loved the film i mean he really got it and he said look his little company at that time could only do one movie a year or something like that. It was like very small, very boutique, very specific. And he said, we have Mel's movie. And so we just can't take this on. And Mel decided to go and do six months of reshoots. And so he called us on that day and said, Mel called me this morning. He's doing reshoots. We can take your movie. It was just one of those moments that it's just, you cannot, when you, when I talk about it still today, I'm like, I don't even know how things like that happen. Because the course of that movie would have been completely... Yeah. We wouldn't be talking about it right now. No. If it was direct to Blockbuster? Yeah, we yeah. wouldn't be talking about it at it all. We would have had like a little, this little blip that you had. It's like, oh, she's 100%. great in that movie. I don't think people would have it. ever seen it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it would have had a cable run on Bravo in like so, two yeah, years I'm later super, or something. I'm super grateful to Mel and to Bob Burney. When did you become... Was there a point when... I don't even remember. It was so long ago. Was there a point when you became like the Oscar favorite? Or, for or that, was, or like, was there a point where you're like, "Holy shit, I'm, I got to write a speech. I might actually win this." Oh my god, no, no, no! I could never do that. I so could you win yeah. it? Yeah. Did you not see me? I don't remember. It was 14 years ago. <laughs> I remember true, watching what happened. I, okay, I'll give it to you. It was a long time ago, but yeah, I no, I was anything. a stomping mess. Gone. I was like, and my mom, and my. I mean, I was horrible. I was just a no. There was nothing articulate about me or anything. Um, no, because. I actually, people did get a little, um, I remember doing the, we, Patty and I won at, uh, uh, independent spirit awards and for producing and uh, for me as an actor and, and people started saying things like she's a sure in and yeah. says she's going to win it. She's going to win it. And I actually got on a plane and flew to with my boyfriend at the time, flew to Brazil to this like tiny little fisherman's village and ended up staying there for two weeks. And I found out in this tiny little Brazilian fisherman's village that I won or or shared the award, um, uh, The Silver Bear. Um, This film student was working at this restaurant that I was eating at, and she she was like, yeah, you won The Silver Bear. And it was like my feet were in the sand and I was sunburned. And it was an incredible way to kind of find it. I had to remove myself from it because I didn't want to... It was just too weird. It was weird to have people say stuff like that when other people were involved, people who I really respected, actor actresses who yeah. I I thought it wasn't fair to them. We all, you know, did great work. I just I didn't feel comfortable with it. So I ran away and got a horrible tan and then I came back 
like a day or two days before the Oscars and everybody was like, that spray tan is so hideous. And I was like, no, that's the real thing. I actually did all that damage to myself. I love that people were like, she was so orange. That was the worst spray tan ever. And I was like, yeah, no, this is what not to do in the sun. Um, so, so I think removing myself from that was good because I can tell you this, like, Speaking of all the awkwardness at these things, yeah. that was an incredible moment. And that night was an incredible night. And I did feel like Cinderella. And I did have this incredible moment that I got to share with people who I really love. Yeah. And I just had a great night of being grateful for everything that I've had in my life, which was great. So you went from eight years from Children of the Corn 3 to winning the Oscar. It's pretty amazing. Look, I felt the same way, actually, the night I shot children of the corn <laughs> so it was a very similar feeling <laughs> what ha- they always talk about when you win the oscar like there's this you're almost like paralyzed by it after you yeah getting all these choices attention mm-hmm. and it's it's almost like you're at an all-you-can-eat buffet for rules did you feel that there's a lot of noise for yeah. sure there's a lot of noise and a lot of opinions and people thinking you know they know what you should do and um <clears throat> and it did freak me out for a little bit. And I do think it affected me. I think I made choices that I shouldn't, that I wasn't fully uh, in control of. And um, Like choices you overthought? or Yeah, and, and, and things that I, I still, when I look back, I'm like, I didn't feel 100% about them. <clears throat> you should have done 27 dresses. That would have been the perfect yeah. time for a rom-com I right know. after the I Oscar. Know. I should have just One like, of gone full-blown It's amazing you never did a rom-com. Well, now I don't. Have I ever done a rom-com? No. No, I haven't. Have I? I'm about to do. You're about is, to. That's not a rom-com. I can't call that a rom-com. No. What about Hancock? Is that a, a rom-com? That's an action movie. That's an action movie, yeah. right? I don't know. It's a, it's a touch of rom-com. Yeah, I don't know. Have I? I don't know. No, I don't see one. One more break to talk about our long-time buddies at Simply Safe getting a good night's sleep. Easier said than done, especially when you think you heard a noise downstairs. What do you do in that situation? I look at my wife and tell her to go downstairs. But other people, what do you do? You turn on the lights, you check your kids' beds, you sleep with one eye open, or rest easy knowing that your home and your family are protected with Simply Safe. Install Simply Safe's home security system. You're arming your home with powerful sensors that actually tell you if a door opens or if one of the window breaks, 105 decibel siren alerts you at the first time of trouble and a dedicated team of security professionals watching over you 24-7. Simply Safe has no long-term contracts. I keep telling you this. Around-the-clock monitoring, and it's just $14.99 a month. Don't spend another night second-guessing your home safety. Get Simply Safe. Get some rest. Go to Simply Safe. Wow, my computer even got excited about this. Go to simplysafebs.com and get a special 10% discount. When you order today, it's Simply Safe with two eyes. SimplySafeBS.com for ten percent off your order. And while we're here, did you know you can listen to the Bill Simmons podcast and all the other podcasts from the Ringer Podcast Network on Spotify? Oh yeah, the streaming service you know and love for music. Also fully loaded with podcasts. Find us in the podcast section within the browse tab when you're using Spotify on mobile, or just for by searching for the Bill Simmons podcast or any of the other Ringer podcasts, head to spotify.com slash podcast for more. That is spotify.com slash podcast. All right, back to one of the only Oscar winners I've ever had on my podcast. Maybe the only Oscar winner. Here we go. Oh, I had North Country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was actually a really good movie. And Thank you. And, uh, and I don't know, it was in that mid-2000s where there was just a lot of really well-done kind of low-key movies, and it was just in the middle of those. Yeah, it was a Warner Brothers film, and uh, Michael Seitzman adapted the book. He was a very—he is a huge writer. He's an incredibly um, um, well-known um, writer, and I think Warner Brothers really put a lot behind it, and they really wanted to kind of tell that kind of female story, and the fact that it was a, a true story, I think, really. Um, kind of made it, you know, get the kind of attention that it did. Um, it's a good one. I watched it with my daughter. Thank you. Yeah. I, I love Nikki Caro, who directed it, and she did Whale Rider, who um, uh, the actress of that was nominated with me mm. when I won for Monster. And so I, I, I really wanted to work with her. And so that was definitely one after the Oscars that I was really excited about, that I really wanted to do. 
Aeon Flex, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, that was the that one, one that you I, have regrets about. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That was like the action movie that just I, didn't come together. I could never really wrap my head around the world. I could never, I never really, you know, you have to kind of be able to see it to do it. And I, could, I, never, I never really could. But Karin Kusama at the time made a film that I really liked, um, Girl Fight. Um, I like that one too. Yeah, and Paramount was really just wouldn't take no for an answer and it all happened so fast that before I knew it I was kind of like on a set and then I injured myself really bad. I mean I almost paralyzed myself on it um I I, I yeah I was I I it was the whole thing was just probably like a neck or a back injury neck yeah I I I herniated like a, disc a disc in my neck yeah. um doing a back handspring my my feet slipped out from underneath me uh, and my body just landed on my neck oh no yeah, and I was in chronic pain for about eight years of my life. Really severe pain where um, it wasn't even doing stunts or any activity. Like, I'd get out of the shower and I would be paralyzed with pain for five days. And my whole body would just lock up. And um, I finally had to do a fusion. Um, oh. Yeah, five years ago, six years ago. And that ago. actually worked for you? It was amazing. Even no, four years ago. Yeah, as I did it, and I have never felt any pain again. Um, wow, the rare positive back surgery story. I, I had a lot of back problems. I almost got the surgery, and I decided not to. I don't know did. if back is the same as neck. Though. No, no, I think you're, the neck. I think is maybe it's a little smarter different. Smarter to fuse, yeah. But I waited so long on the neck. Everybody kept telling me, you know, I'm young. My body will kind of take care of right. the the the. Um, the disc that was protruding and it just never happened and it just kept hitting on nerves. Ugh. And and I would, you know, I just, I had no life. And then I had my first child and I, I couldn't, I had, there were days where I couldn't pick up my own kid. Uh. And I was like, I don't, I'm not doing this anymore. And I actually did the surgery with all the doctors kind of saying no. And I just, I finally just put my foot down and I was like, if I have to be in this kind of chronic pain for the rest of my life, I'd rather take a chance on the surgery and I'm so happy I did. That's the rule with surgery with that stuff, with back or neck. It's like, if there's just no hope and you're just going to be in agony the yeah. rest of your life, then what do you have to lose? That's that how point? I felt about yeah. it. Yeah. I have, you ever people, did, have you ever done anything like that? I had a, ba I had a herniated disc in my back. Lower? And, yeah, lower. And it went out in 2003. And did you, how did you do it? I did. I researched everything. I did. I tried Pilates. I tried. No, but how did you? And did it just go out? This or? was like I crashed my motor scooter when I was like sixteen, so oh, I screwed up my back from that, and wow. it would come back. Yeah. And the more research I did on it, um, it was like my sitting habits were bad. Stre I wasn't stretching enough. Yeah. Stress is a big part of it. Yeah. Um, especially with backs. There's this great book by this guy John Sarno, I know it. Howard Stern. Yeah. yeah, I know it really he well. He just died, by the way. But did he really? Yeah, he just oh, died I didn't know he passed away. Yeah. Yeah, Javier Bardem made me aware of that book because he has chronic, chronic back yeah. pain and he, he swears by that book. Because it's basically like most people have some sort of something Yeah, and stress and all these different stupid habits can exacerbate it. Yeah. But everybody's got something a little wonky. Your thing sounds different though. Wait, Hancock, why didn't Hancock totally work? I don't know. I mean, I, I... I always felt like there was a little Will Smith fatigue with that because he had had so many movies yeah. in a world that were just big hits. Yeah, he was like a just a massive, I want to say like number one star at the time. Oh, yeah. Um, I love Pete Berg who directed it. I love Will Smith. I love Jason. I, I just, I love everybody that was involved in that movie. So I don't really care. I had such a great time working with everybody. Tate, you on been on movie. Hancock? Yeah. Yeah, Tate likes Hancock. Oh. I think Tate's too. generation. Oh, you love yeah. that? Oh, that's yeah. nice. Yeah. Second time with Jason Bateman. Yeah. Tate's generation, Hancock, Arrested Development. Oh, that's great. Couple. I love yeah. it. Uh, young Adult, 2011, which is my favorite of your performances. Oh, my gosh. And it I know, says a lot about you. I know Jason. Are you a little, is there a little Mavis inside you? Uh, no, it's just, I just thought that was, you were, I thought all your skills were unleashed in that one. Oh, my bitchy skills? And it was just everything. That's, it was the total package. That's so it was nice. The total car wash. I love that movie. I love, you know. <clears throat> I think you should have been nominated, not to oh. kiss your butt, but I was very surprised that you weren't. That's so sweet. Because it was like that was you were the whole movie in that movie. Oh my gosh! And you have to. You're crazy, but I have to be rooting for you, <laughs> which is can go really badly for the viewer. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, I think it's hard to do. There's definitely a challenge in doing something that's that unflattering but yet somewhat fully representative of 
just all of us as human beings. Right. You know, I realized when I do when I did a lot of research on pe- when I played real people, um, and I think I even do it. I think it's just human human nature to the way we we sometimes talk about ourselves is not necessarily always in the most honest way. And there was something about this character, and how Jason Reitman saw her as a, a real really empathetic character. Yeah, that I I. I really kind of I love that challenge of taking a character that's so off-putting and you know we would do screenings and women and men uh, would come up to me and say I I either know somebody like that or my sister is like that and I you know or some would be more honest and say like I'm like her and there was something really nice about <laughs> somebody that. Somebody say they're like her is a little weird. Yeah, well, there was like, there was a, there was a few people. Were like, mm. uh, there was a, this uh, really amazing, uh, lovely, vibrant gay guy that walked up to me and he just went, "I need you to know, I'm Mavis." And I was like, <laughs> "You go, girl. You tell me about your Mavisness." I, Rachel's getting married with Anne Hathaway is like that too, where it's just. The train wreck character yeah. that you shouldn't be rooting for, but you can't help it. Yeah. That's I a mean, sweet spot for me. And to be able to write that, I mean, Diablo did such a good job writing that. And I think Jason really knows how to balance that stuff where mm. it's not, I always have this fear that it becomes caricature or it doesn't, it's not kind of grounded in some kind of a reality. And he, he's really great. And he's one of my favorite directors in working on that kind of stuff. Yeah, I remember he loved working with you too. Uh, let's go to you want to talk about the Huntsman's movies or no? I can't believe that you're leaving this up to me. You should do, like, you should well, figure you, this shit out before no, I come I, in I, here, I, okay? I like, the, I like the guests like, to have some I, say. No, I, this is way too much say for me. Like, I'm breaking out on hives. Like, you need to, like, figure this out. Seriously, figure it out. All come right. back to me. I'm going to skip Whenever those. you're ready. Let's talk about A Million Ways <laughs> to Die in the West. Yes. What are we saying? What are we talking about? Help me out here. Come on, Bill. That yeah. one. Yes. It seemed like you were having a lot of fun in that one. One, one of the greatest experiences I ever had. Yeah. Because you haven't done a lot of comedies. No, I hadn't, and I was not the first choice for it. And I was a. I'm a huge Seth MacFarlane fan. I think that there's something quite brilliant about him. Um, and I thought the script was really funny. And I like. I really like him. And I thought the. I just thought it was. Fun. And every time we did a table read through, everybody was just dying. And I had just done Mad Max yeah. and it was hell. It was right. absolute hell. And I, I just needed to remind myself how much I love what I do again. And, and that that's why I wanted to go with Seth and just be in the desert for three months and make very inappropriate jokes about how horrible the, was there backgammon in the wild wild west? No, I mean, listen, this the, he was he wrote it, he produced it, he acted in it, he directed it. He was writing a novel at the time of doing all of that. He would on the weekends go and do all the seven hundred voices for Family Guy. I yeah. don't know how this man has a life, and then he'd still be available to have a drink. I mean, and then he just, has parties where he croons like Frank Sinatra. Yes, that's like on the side. That's like the ninth thing he's good at. Unbelievable. We. He's been so incredibly kind and supportive of um, uh, my program that I have in South Africa. Yeah. Um, South Africa, uh, Charlize Theron, South Af- Charlize Theron Africa Outreach Project, where we work with adolescents in preventing HIV and AIDS. And he hosts a fundraiser for us for the last two years at his house and like dresses in a tuxedo and flies out his band and entertains every all of the guests. I mean, it's just he's ridiculously generous and lovely. Mad Max we talked about. Yeah. Fast 8 we did not talk about. <laughs> One of my favorite franchises. Yeah. That's yeah. why I had Kurt Russell on. I had Neil Moritz who did the who produced all of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh how many days did you film for that movie, be honest? Um Is that like an 8 day? You're just in cuz you were basically in the same room for most of the It was a little movie, more. I think right? it was 12 12 or 13 days. I think it was 12 in Atlanta and one in, in Cuba. 
Is that a? Did you like the franchise, or yes. was that like a strategic move? Okay, you like no, the, I like the fran- I like the franchise. I you know I didn't chase it. Um, Universal came to me and said, "Would you ever?" Uh, years ago, and at the time, you know, I had a, a my my I had a baby, and it was I was working a lot, and at the time, I said probably not, and I think they wanted to write this character in on eight, and that just wasn't the right movie to do it. You know, yeah. that movie had to end the way it did for very obvious reasons and so it changed their whole plan and so when was that no wait seven. on seven yeah, on seven, seven. I know sorry Paul Walker uh, and then on eight they called me again and said look like you know we really want to do this and it was just a different time in my life and do you feel bad about what you did to Dom what no? did I do to him that you ruined it. Dom was all about family and you you basically made him choose but isn't that fun between his own isn't I, I don't know I took to it personally want? I mean how much I, of his family business can we still watch like it's good I thought it was so good that they kind of shook that up and like like even he would say that you know and I think um, everybody involved in the movie and that's why they did it it's you can't. I, you have to shake it up. It was a good gimmick, but it still hurt my feelings. I but really that's felt like why Dom it's cared good. About everyone. It's good because we got an emotion out of you, Bill. I know, and that means we did our job. Everyone made up at the end. Did your your character survive or not? I don't know. Oh, mm. look at you! I yeah, know. I don't remember seeing you Can die. Can you in Fast survive? Eight. Can you survive jumping out of a plane like that? I don't know. You tell me. Can you? They brought people back before that we thought was I know, like Kurt but Russell I just, in Fast 7 I just was told, supposed to be dead. That is true. But I just told you, I need things to kind of be grounded in some sense of reality. Do you think that I could come back? Like, could I survive that? Tell me honestly. I, nothing about the Fast and Furious franchise is grounded not, in reality. Still not answering my question. They had a 29-mile runway in Fast 6. <laughs> it's just a runway that never ended. <laughs> Fast 7, they jumped through skyscrapers. Lit through two of them. That's true. Yeah, they landed in a mountain on in yeah. cars on on yeah. parachutes. Yeah. So I there's really you I'm can't coming, really I'm about. coming back. You should come back. <laughs> That'd be great for you. Oh, and last one, um, Atomic Bond. Yeah, we're done. <clears throat> what do you want to know? <clears throat> what's your prediction? <clears throat> Do you, um, what? What's my, your prediction? What's my, what's my prediction? Yeah. I have no, I don't have a clue. God, no. What movie does this resemble that you've done? Not anything. Nothing? Not, no, not anything. Does this have a chance to be the most popular movie you've done? I, 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 it's so hard to answer that because there is this really nice thing happening where there's word of mouth and mm. it's not it's always great when you have that on a film i do i i would much rather have that than millions and millions of people of money thrown at you know uh, publicity so to have people talk about it and have this little buzz about it is really flattering but it's a really hard place to get to yeah, it's very hard to get to we that place. We had that with ESPN when we did 30 for 30 because they didn't promote yeah. it. Yeah. And the word of mouth was what made people almost thing. think it was better than it was. Yeah. I yeah. think I think I think most of my films who did that did well did well because of that. So, but I, but again, I I can't I think the biggest mistake you can make is to kind of put yourself in this place of of certain expectation and I don't yeah. ever want to do that. So you're gonna do some press, but not a shitload. No, we're we're doing. I mean, I'm I'm doing what makes sense to me. You know, mm. I'm I, I I'm doing stuff that feels. Um, I'm also. I'll tell you this. Like putting the movie aside. Like for me, press. I I've had a real issue with press, just in the sense that I don't. Um, you know, and I drive my publicist crazy because I just question everything. I just I don't know. I'm a private person. I'm not a secretive person, but I am a private person. And other than podcasts, it's really hard to kind of have you as a person kind of come across, you know? And I just got tired of sitting down for interviews and having some writer just, you know, write whatever they wanted to write. And I think yeah, those writers are the worst. I, they I'm, are I'm a writer. the worst. Yeah. I just. <laughs> There's a sense of irony that gets lost. 
I especially agree. with me. And I think with women in general, there's irony. Like, for some reason with men, it's a little bit more forgiving. Like, if a writer takes, you know, their own idea of what the interview was. I don't know why, but I feel like with women, it's so God unforgiving. Like, and the biggest thing that always gets lost is irony, is that you can have, like, and, and context, like, that you're, you know, like, that we're living in a day where people say one thing, and that's the thing that you see on 70, I don't They tweet it out in 140 characters, the yeah. one sentence. Yeah, and it's like, it doesn't even make sense unless you read the whole thing, yeah. you know, and nobody does that these days anymore. So, I, I think for me, it's just, press have become something that I feel comfortable with that I feel is representative where I can go and really like be me and and if I you know if I'm an idiot then I'm an idiot and I take ownership of that and if I'm you know incredibly funny I take ownership of that that was such a dick thing to say <laughs> you um, made the room laugh a couple of times <clears throat> I pay them yeah. really well to laugh trust me how old are your kids then uh two and five yeah mine are 12 and nine so two and five, it's rough. That you don't really see light. At, you don't see light at the end of the tunnel until they turn six. Really? Because oh, six, God, you can I just give them it. an iPad or something, and they can at least occupy themselves for a half hour. I feel like I have thirteen-year-olds though. That's the, my problem. Like I'm like I have a five-year-old, but I feel like I have a thirteen-year-old. Can the five-year-old occupy them? Yeah, but it's just a lot of sass, man. You're getting just, sass I'm already getting at sass five. At five and a half. Really? I'm getting a whole truckload of sass yeah my daughter is now 12 and was 11 and a half when the sass really really yeah but see i was expecting that age i was it's a lot so much eye rolling and exasperation it's like i used to be your hero what happened (laughs) i was your favorite person now you're frustrated by me that's amazing it really hurts my feelings that's funny and i know it's not gonna change yeah. I'm really torn up about it. There's, At least I have my son. Sons are dumb, happy, and loyal. Never, they, they're just dumb and happy. So many moms tell me that. They're yeah. like, you just put them down and put... Look, I don't know about that. But um, I love that they just have, like, they have no time for you. Like, they're nah. just like, you're just annoying me right now. Right. Like, I had this moment the other day in the car where, you know, I <clears throat> I just want my kids to really know that they can be anything that they want. Yeah. But I, I have maybe become that parent that says it too much, you know? And I, we were in the car and... The one was asking about something and I like, you know, can a girl do this or something? And I said, a girl can do anything. Like, I want you to know that a girl can do anything. And a lot of times girls can do it better than than boys. And and I want you to know that that means you can do anything like it doesn't mean like because you're a boy or a girl. And I'm like doing this big spiel that I'm hope I'm imagining in my head. The scene is playing out, you know, they're. 30 and married and they've kids and they're telling their kids this story of how great I was in that moment in the car when I just like went yeah, off and told them that lives. they could do, do yes yeah and my eldest just goes oh I know mom I mean just no it. just yeah just like down. done like yeah. mom I can't I'm like all right okay this was fun thank you good thank luck with you. your movie thank you very much I Thanks. think did I keep did that go five minutes too long all right, good. Okay. That was awesome. Thank you. All right, great. Good luck with the movie. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks so much to Hotel Tonight, the app that helps you find amazing hotel deals at the last minute up to seven days in advance, perfect for a spontaneous getaway or indulging in a little staycation. Booking on Hotel Tonight gives you the freedom and flexibility to play things by ear while knowing you'll score a great price and a great, great place to stay. Get in on these killer last-minute deals. Download the Hotel Tonight app now. I think we're up to like eight ringer staffers who have used the Hotel Tonight app, so check it out. Also, thanks to Simply Safe, getting a good night's sleep. Easier said than done. Install Simply Safe's home security system. Arm your home with powerful sensors that actually tell you if a door opens or a window breaks. Don't spend another night second-guessing your home safety. Come on. Go to simplysafebs.com. Get a special 10% discount when you order today. That is simplysafebs.com. For 10% off your order. And finally, don't forget about Talk the Thrones, our Twitter post-game show for Game of Thrones. Right after Game of Thrones ends, go to at Ringer, our Twitter feed, or use hashtag Talk the Thrones, and you could watch our experts break down the episode that just happened. I have a feeling episode three is going to be violent and awesome. That's it. Enjoy the rest of the week. <laughs> <laughs>